Welcome back to the Dynasty Heat Seekers podcast. I'm your host, Rick Butts, here with normal co-hosts, Brad Menendez and Taylor Cornell. And today we have a treat for you. We have the creator of the running back prospect comparison tool, David Wilsey. Um, Brad, how are you doing today? And why don't you let everybody know where they can find you? Awesome. I am doing awesome. Much better than the NBA currently. Uh, I am at Roto Heat Brad over on Twitter. Taylor. Sweet, I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so NBA announcing they're suspending their season. So luckily we have the off season here to really uh, dive into fantasy football stuff. And our season never ends. So I guess that's good. Uh, I'm doing well as well. Uh, I'm out on Twitter at underscore Taylor Cornell. Um, always happy to answer all your fantasy questions. Yes, this whole coronavirus thing is a little crazy, and I didn't even see that the NBA was they're suspending every game. Yep, suspending their season. Uh, well, Rudy Gobert tested positive today, so they're suspending their season until further notice. Oh wow, um, that's crazy. Uh, we won't go into that very deep because that could be a whole nother conversation. But uh, David, we welcome you to the podcast and we are excited to learn even more than we already have about your running back prospect comparison tool. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, let people know where they can find you and then explain this tool a little bit for everybody. Yeah, it's good to be here, guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at Wilsonator, W-I-L-L-S-O-N-8. Or, um, I work over at DLF, uh, formerly with FF Statistics before the buyout, and uh, been writing for uh, going into my third year now, my third season, I guess. Um, and I hope one day that it can become a job that can support my family instead of breaking my back building swimming pools every day. So. But no, um, but yeah, so since uh, it'll probably take me a few, we'll get right into the model. Um, the basically the the goal with the with the model was to try and encompass uh, all factors that I could account for um, and put them into one final grade to see if there was possibly some, you know, something that could give us some insight with potential draft projection outside of just, you know, these guys are the top guys. These are who we think we're going to go early um, because, you know, clearly we're always surprised. I mean, you know, most people had Jacobs number one last year. A lot of people didn't, you know, I had Miles Sanders and even after the draft, I still had Miles Sanders, just love Miles Sanders. But it, there's always going to be some, you know, some surprise, some shock, some sort of uprise about this guy going way later than he should have or this guy going way earlier than he should have. So I was trying my best to put together something that could uh, give us some insight with with potential draft capital because, as we all know, draft capital is kind of the the final be all end all in determining a, a player's potential for 
for fantasy value because if you spend a lot of money on a guy, you're going to give him the ball and give him the chance to fail. If you don't spend a lot of money on the guy, he's going to have a real short leash on that, on failing, you know? So uh, the goal was to try and find something that could help fantasy players or anybody who just like football um, determine the potential draft capital for a player based on their performance um, overall, their, their wear and tear in college, their production in college, their, their upside, uh, their, their downside, their red flags, everything like that and make one final metric that somebody could look at. And um, so I had originally started on some stuff about eight, nine months ago and, you know, trying my best to, make efficiency sticky and uh like everybody else prior to me i failed <laughs> um it was always kind of funny to me though how how much efficiency is is disvalued at the pro level you know it's basically ignored a yard per attempt is if if for anybody in the know, basically you, you kind of just use that as a little extra contact. It's not going to be used as any major argument in in a conversation with somebody. Um, but at, at college, it's it's funny because it's it's kind of the opposite. It's it's extremely valued. You want your running back in college to be efficient, and they take it in the context of, you know, who they are playing and everything, but you still want your running back to show that he can put up a high yard per attempt at the college level. So I I, I thought that was I always thought that was kind of kind of funny how it, it's completely on the different end of the on the different end of the spectrum. And so I started applying uh a little of those type of metrics in into the model to try and see if there was any way to make uh, a metric where it showed how they produced, but not just the total yardage, because we can all just go to sportsreference.com and, and look that up, right? You know, I mean, that's not really anything tough. So I wanted to make it demonstrate not only how well the player produced, but how efficiently they produced. Um, but also put a premium on because, you know, rushing attempts go for about half the yardage of a receiving attempt on average generally. And so I put a premium on rushing efficiency harder to gain, but at the same time you flip it over versatility is much more favored. So total receiving yards, in turn has a higher premium than rushing yards. And it kind of gives you the distance traveled adjustment, which, which tells you how productive and efficient they were at the same time. So that, that is, uh, shows how the player produced in a vacuum at the college level. Then with the volume wear and tear that is built to not only just every, like in the same turn, everybody can just look at, the total touches by a player and say they played this much, they played in this many games. That's how much wear and tear they have on their body. All volume is not created equal in the same way that all receptions go for twice as many yards, nearly as all, as all rushing attempts, you're gaining twice as many yards before or after contact. You're getting tackled out on the outside by cornerbacks 
safeties. Rarely, you know, a linebacker, a defensive lineman gets out there to hit you. Um, you're running out of bounds part of the time or scoring. So taking no contact. So therefore it has the receptions have a much more minimal effect on the, on the volume wear and tear metric as compared to the rushing where you're getting hit inside on the line by defensive linemen, linebackers, constantly lots of guys falling on you. It's, it just is going to have a greater effect on your body. So that's how those are weighted in the, uh, in the volume wear and tear metric. Then uh, we take into account their games played, but it's not just their total games played. It's how many games they forced in, basically they forced into a season showing that these two players might have touched the ball the exact same amount of times, but this player over here played in two less games per season than the next player. Therefore, all his volume was crammed into a much smaller window, creating a much larger, um, much larger probability for gaining abuse to the body, essentially. And so you you don't just look at the total touches, you look at their their volume per game. If a guy touches the ball 30 times in one game, that's going to have a different effect than a player that touches the ball 30 times over two games. And then that player who touched it 30 in one game is going to go touch it again the next week, unless he got injured, which will also have an effect on the final metric. So it kind of accounts for for all of that type of stuff into one thing to give you their their volume uh, in a vacuum. These come together to form their initial physical toll grade, which basically tells you what kind of performer they were at the college level, again, in a vacuum. Um, so this, you know, it accounts for none of the outlying factors that we're going to bring in for the final physical toll grade, which would be age, uh, speed, BMI, competition, and injury. And as an individual, none of these things have that great of an effect on the overall metric because being 22 is not all that different from being 23 when you're talking in terms of your ability to heal and bounce back, but the ability for a 21-year-old or a 20-year-old as compared to a 25-year-old or a 24-year-old we all know as we get older, our ability to, to bounce back and heal is going to lessen. And so age will have, uh, the older you are, obviously, the more negative of effect, but it's not going to be like you're not going to all of a sudden drastically drop because a player is 22 over 21. It's, it's a minimal effect in the same with um BMI, which, you know, as we all know, are the how thick a player is. You know, it's not just about how heavy they are. It's about how much padding they have on them that kind of, you know, the thicker they are, the higher the BMI, the more abuse they're going to be able to take because they just have a lot more standing between the player contacting them and all the vital important stuff that they want to keep from getting injured. So the, the thicker you are, the positive, the more of a positive effect it will have on the final metric. Um, speed accounted for as not speed score, which is a 
much more predictive uh, metric than your final 40 time because we know it includes weight with it, but I've already accounted for weight with BMI. So in a way, just you, accounting for that 40 time with the BMI kind of essentially makes it encompass all into one and account for the height, the weight, and the speed all at one time. Uh, then competition is brought in next because we know Obviously, a player who plays at Alabama is going to be playing a lot more pro caliber talent, a lot more guys who are, you know, just outside that level of pro caliber talent than a running back who spends his time at Abilene Christian or Butler Community College. You know, it's going to the, the just the, the players that they're going to be playing are just going to be so much better their ability, you know, the defenses they're playing, their offensive line at that level, every, everything about it is going to be better. So adding for competition helps to weed through the players that were hyper-efficient at lower levels um, and bring them down kind of along the lines of the guys who played at a much higher level, slightly less efficiently on their touches, but they played a lot better players. Therefore it tends to, it'll balance those players out a little more. Then we take into account injury and in the metric, the final, the physical toll grade has a ceiling, a mid and a floor basically to tell you uh, the ceiling is if you have no injury concern at all about the player, this is who they were on the field. Uh, if you have a slight injury concern, the mid applies 50% of their injury risk. So it gives you, okay, maybe I should be a little nervous about him. He did have a serious injury, but I still like the player. Okay, we'll look at that mid-range. If you are deathly afraid of a player's injury, then the floor applies 100% of that injury risk. And you can see, okay, now this is this is what I, I'm I'm scared. This is what I have to look forward to uh, as far as this guy's performance on the field in college. And these, then you can pull an average from this and it gives you just, you know, a general idea of it. And it doesn't come out exactly as your mid because um, not all, player like the the more serious injuries will have a greater effect and everything like that and it's not a be-all end-all as far as you know this is their ability to take contact because i don't know if you guys have how closely you guys have really looked through the model but frank gore broke the dang thing smashed it to pieces threw it on the ground like office space with the fax machine and hit it with a baseball bat because all the model knows is that he missed a heck of a lot of time with serious injuries because of that. He wasn't hyper productive or anything like that. He wasn't overly efficient. So he comes out graded very lowly on the model. It did not know he was going to play till the end of time. You know what I mean? So it's not going to be a hundred percent accurate because of how it's, it's basically built to, favor the modern day versatile efficient running back as opposed to the um the past what what was looked for optimally in 
you know, the early 2000s, it, it's completely different than what they're looking for now because Adrian Peterson, he's a Hall of Famer, one of the best ever in college, but he wasn't overly efficient. He wasn't used much in the passing game. So he ends up coming out in a roundabout way, ranked somewhat low comparatively to where he went in the actual draft. And that's that, you know, the, the model doesn't know that everybody knew Adrian Peterson was going to be good. It just knows what I plug into it and it spits out the final, the final data. So now we have our physical toll grade. We then go over and that's not everything because we know that all the time, great performers don't, always go highly in the draft because the NFL doesn't always value the same things that, you know, we as analysts are valuing with these players. And I mean, that's extremely demonstrated by the wide receiver draft last year with how, you know, I mean, most people thought Nikhil Harry was going one, but after that it was, you know, it was uh, just uh, grab a ball out of the bingo machine and, and see what you come up with for the next couple rounds with, you know, King Butler falling all the way down and DK falling all the way down and Andy Isabella and Paris Camel going much higher than expected. And, you know, so it's the, the NFL is going to value things a lot differently than we do. So I was going to try and account for the perception of a player as well as their on-field performance. And so if you you go over and you look at upside after you get their performance on the field and you look at their upside. And what this takes into account is I, I basically called them red flags and green flags. And what they are is thresholds or positive signals that if these players meet them, they get a green flag. If they don't meet them, that's a red flag on their final metric. And these take into account, uh, there's certain ones that take into account on-field performance and then ones that take into account, like I said, perception of the player. So uh, that, that's basically accolades. Uh, if the player won the Heisman Trophy, that's a bump up for him. Um, if the player got injured a lot, depending on how much it was, the severity, the length of time, everything, each of these has a different factor. I, I went in and found every injury that I could possibly find on any of these players. And based on, like I said, severity and length of time missed, they each got a different negative multiplier for the final metric. So a guy who, you know, tears his ACL once might have a similar effect as a guy who just got repeated small injuries over time. So you could look at that and say, well, the, the, this player has more of a chance possibly for risk for a severe injury, but this guy, he might not stay on the field at all. He could be Matt Burita and just hurt all the time. You never know when he's going to stay on the field. So um, the, the upside takes into account these different performance-based, non-performance-based things, like uh, a, a transfer student, a, a student that had to redshirt. These are all kind of looked at as a slight red flag. Why couldn't you just, you know, obviously your guy who lands at a Power 5 conference, stays there his entire career, plays every game, is going to be looked at a little differently than a guy who had to go to a JUCO work his way up at a JUCO and then transfer over 
and come in and play his butt off to try and get game time at the larger level. So it's going to um, account for all those sort of things and give you the upside factor for the player, as well as their performance premium, which takes into account only their performance-based flags. And what the point of these, what a point of separating these is, is you want your, you don't want a player to be all performance, all performance based. You want a little perception behind them. Essentially, you don't want them to be all perception based. You know, you want them to have some performance to back it up. So, essentially, they can be looked at as kind of like a ceiling and a floor. the The overall upside can be looked at like their ceiling. Like this is who they could be. The floor is basically like this is who they were on the field. So that's my safety net right there. And what you want is you want them to be somewhat balanced. Um, right about the, you want your performance based part of the upside to be right around the 60 to 70% range. That's kind of the optimal range as I've gone through the model and looked at all the players. That's kind of the optimal range that they've kind of settled into um, for the most consistent success. And you, so you look at all that and you can weigh the risk and the reward and see, okay, this is who they were on the field. This is who they were basically in the public eye and as they perceived on the field, those come together to form the final overall prospect score and the overall performance grade. And that is essentially used at the same, you look at that as the same way you're looking for a high, um, like 60 to 70% range of your overall performance grade being made up of your, or, I'm sorry, excuse me. You want 60 to 70% of your overall prospect score being made up by your overall performance grade. <laughs> and it, it can essentially, as I've gone through the model and tested it and everything, it comes out as basically the same way. Your performance grade is your player's floor. Your overall prospect score is the ceiling that they could potentially reach. So you have guys like, Saquon Barkley, who has one of the highest overall performance grades in the model. He's number, well, currently number two behind Jonathan Taylor, who just blew the model away. <clears throat> but he also has an extremely high overall prospect score. But his percentage is right in that, it's 67%. Whereas if you look at Jonathan Taylor, he has the high, second highest overall prospect score in the model behind Reggie Bush, but he has the number one overall performance grade. So he has a very high ceiling, but his performance grade only takes up about 55% of that. So you would look at that as like, he's got a little bit lower of a floor than a player like Saquon Barkley, who's ranked very similarly, similar, similarly, excuse me, uh, but had a much larger percent of his grade based up by his on-field performance. <clears throat> so those are, do you guys have any uh, questions before I get into the projection of draft capital? <laughs> um, I guess my biggest question in this spot is, 
what other running backs from this class stand out other than Jonathan Taylor? And what value are you personally going to put on your model when it comes to draft season? So it's a good thing you asked. uh, It's a good thing you asked that specific question because Jonathan Taylor is not the only very highly graded prospect out of this class. There's actually three that come in in the top 12 all time in the model uh, or in the top 11, I, I should say, all time in the model. And that's Taylor, obviously. And then you have DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins. And Dobbins could actually slightly move up in the model because as of right now, I don't have his profile is not considered official because I don't have an official time on his 40. So as of right now, his fish, his 40 time in the model is based on the formula for average male athleticism, which, so it's based on the formula for average male athleticism. And then I take that and account for the average percentage above that per drafted running back the last 16 years. To get a you know the how how faster on average they are than average, and that is then applied to each prospect who has an unofficial profile until I get that official uh, forty time to plug into the model. So Dobbins is ranked extremely high, and he could even go slightly higher before all, all is said and done. After pro days are all done, when I do the next update um, to the data set. <clears throat> So those guys are ranked extremely high and, you know, a player like DeAndre Swift, there's concerns about usage and, you know, his ability to handle the workload because we really didn't get to see that throughout his college career. He split time back there. So I went last night and I kind of looked and I said, you know, there was kind of similar concerns going around Josh Jacobs, you know, his ability to handle a a full workload with, you know, split in time, but everybody kind of said, you know, well, forget about that because he's playing with a bunch of other high quality running backs at a very competitive school. Like they, they can't just not give those guys the ball. Everybody's got to get a little time. And I think we know that that's kind of how they use their running backs there in general anyways. So, but DeAndre Swift is, as far as the model is concerned, he is graded much higher than Josh Jacobs, much, much higher. And it, you know, it's going to miss from time to time and stuff like that. But in an overall sense, if it is what I think it is, and it is what it's kind of showing to be in the success rates of the metrics and everything like that, we can look at DeAndre Swift with a much higher floor. He's a much more versatile um, potential because how efficiently he gained his yards and the, the amount of wear and tear he has on his body, it's slightly more than Jacobs, but... It's, they're close enough, and then you take into account how much better he produced and his his physical toll grade, and then in turn his overall prospect score comes out much higher where 
he is currently projected to go is based on the model to go day one where Josh Jacobs was projected on the model to go as a high day three pick. So that's if, um, if anybody kind of has that type of concern about Swift, you can go in and analyze the type of player he was and just get a better grasp for his upside and his potential, you know, his, his potential for success at the next level. So, and then, like I said, Dobbins, he could still, once I get the pro days all updated and everything put in, he could even end up being ranked higher on the model than he already is. And so um, those are definitely three guys that I have extremely high faith are going to go very high. Um, I, I, after the combine, a couple guys who jumped way up were Cam Akers. Uh, Zach Moss went way down. But A.J. Dillon, I mean, the size speed freak that he is, he jumped way up actually from number 10 to number four ranked uh, overall prospect score for the 2020 class. And, you know, he's, he's really hard to find some comps for because there's not really anybody that produced in the same way that he did. We can find comps for his size and his speed. There's a few guys, you know, but I had to do a little stretching, but his three closest comps in the model were Derrick Henry, obviously, who's kind of you know, the first name who comes to mind, but also Brandon Jacobs and Beanie Wells. And these three guys were all um, different levels, but were all successful producers in the NFL to a certain extent. So uh, if he lands in a, a good situation, I think he definitely is a, a landing spot kind of dependent guy because I think he needs to have the right situation where somebody's going to be willing to feed him like they did Derrick Henry last year, finally, where it gets to the point where those DBs, those, you know, those linebackers are starting to really feel it in that fourth quarter when that 200 and uh, almost 250 pound frame and that speed is coming at you. So he, he definitely has that in his range of outcomes. But again, like I said, I had to kind of stretch a little bit to get him there. So his, his floor is definitely lower than a player like Derrick Henry's was coming out, but his ceiling, uh, although not quite as high is definitely up there. So, um, he's another one I will really be looking for to see where he lands uh, to before I really get excited about him. But as of right now, I'm definitely stoked about just, I mean, that, that combine performance, you know, gave him a real boost in the model. So um, those are, those are the obvious kind of five guys Um there, there's a few people who dropped, you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He, uh, he definitely saw a major hit from, uh, from that 40 time in the model. Um, you know, Benjamin actually, it's kind of funny. He, uh, he came away from the combine with, you know, positive vibes surrounding him. And he actually dropped in my model slightly because his projected speed was faster 
based on his size and the projected above average was faster than he actually ran. So he actually took a slight downgrade in the model, which I thought was kind of funny, like, oh, well, maybe it wasn't quite as good as we thought. So, but again, with this, in the end, it's all going to come down to the actual draft day and then next year just to kind of see how how things play out and i you know at this point i'm i'm kind of fully comfortable with knowing that this thing may take a, some time to hit but i think the faster people get on board with it the the the, the leg up the higher the bigger the leg up you're going to have um on projecting these guys as well as next year which i've um I have around 40, 40 2021 20, prospects entered into the model, uh, and I started entering 2022 20, prospects in as well. So it'll kind of possibly give you some ideas for some breakouts, um, maybe some guys who who were graded highly coming into college but are not uh, living up to expectation currently, uh, you know, things like that. So I it's uh it's definitely uh can be intimidating when you first click open this thing and see like 150 sortable columns with 440 players but if you kind of go through the the process of it and just kind of follow along it it definitely um loses that intimidation factor and becomes much easier to kind of to grasp and understand um, what to look for. So it's it's um, the nice thing about it is when it misses on players, you can go back and you can look and see why did it miss on this player? You know, uh, like I said with Frank Gore, why did it miss on Frank Gore? Well, Frank Gore was not on the field all that much because he was hurt all the time. Okay, so that's why we missed on Frank Gore. Uh, guys that are severely you know undersized that positive like a, a guy who's not a huge frame but he ran extremely fast chris johnson he didn't quite uh come out you know the the projection for his draft grade was much lower than he actually went in real life because of that size so it's 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 nice because you can see the misses and you can just scroll over and see okay where did the model where what what was the factor that that um caused you know caused this so um yeah it's uh that's kind of a general idea general not general i'm gonna i'm gonna be putting out some real good definitions of the thought process and everything behind the each metric uh in the coming days uh as well as um when you guys drop this podcast, I will uh, I have a how-to thread of how to analyze a certain um, currently polarizing 2020 prospect. And you can kind of see what uh, the future could hold for him uh, by going through the, the process of it. And and then, you, you know, ultimately it's up to you to weigh the risk and the reward and make your own determination. But it just kind of gives you an idea, a starting place to really go from um, when you when you uh, are evaluating a, a prospect. So. That is really, really good stuff. 
Um, I believe Taylor has a question for you. Taylor, why don't you ask away? Yeah, Jared, curious about, I mean, I know the 40 time is just one of a number of factors that kind of go into it, but do you make any adjustments for, um, so like Dobbins, if he runs it as pro day, so he's one that we don't have any 40 time on right now, or any of these guys, if they come to their pro pro day and run a little bit better, does that change in your um, model here, or do you pretty much just keep the combine score as the one to work off of? Uh, it's kind of so with throughout the the model going back through the years. What I originally pulled from is combine score, um, the combine uh, forty time, and uh, so I kind of I would like to keep with that, but I think I think just because I can't. You know, I could go back with a lot of these guys and and look back at their pro days and stuff like that, which I um, I had to do with a couple guys. But out of the model, out of the 294 drafted running backs in the last 16 years, 287 of them went to the combine. So I kind of tried to keep with that, but I think as the model kind of progresses, now that I I am actively doing it live you know i think if a player like clyde edwards hilaire goes in and runs considerably faster if it's just marginally faster because you know you t- you always take a little grain of salt with a pro day 40 time kind of you can add a just a add just a fuzz to it because you know they had the friendly clock uh it, but if it's considerably faster i will likely go in and adjust the metric and the model. But if it's just marginally faster, no, because as I was saying before, in the grand scheme, each of those factors, the injury, uh, the, um, the speed, the BMI competition, uh, those all, like I said, individually, they don't have that big of an effect overall on the metric it's when you encompass all of them together that you kind of see it really come together of forming vacuum performance to individual player performance so if it's like i said if it's just marginally better i probably will leave it as their official combine time but if if somebody comes in and just blows their 40 time away from the combine uh i will likely go in and average the two so um yeah <laughs> that's that's kind of how that's kind of how that will play out um as we get the pro days and everything funneling in but um yeah I, I, yeah so i i like i said I, I basically because i went off combine numbers in history i would like to keep it as uniform to that as possible but a considerably better 40 time because I'm actively doing this live. I, I don't want the model to have take lock. We'll put it that way. You know, if, if a guy runs considerably faster, I do want to be able to account for some of that. So and I um, think you made a good point that the 40, uh, 40 times you get at pro days aren't always quite as accurate as what you might get at a combine. So I definitely agree with what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. The coaches definitely, they, they want their guys to succeed, you know, at the next level because that makes them look good. So it's probably tell that guy with the stopwatch. Yeah. Um, 
maybe wait till that last foot crosses the line <laughs> type of, you know, like maybe not that considerably different, but they definitely give them that little, a little uptick. So, um, I definitely want to try and keep it as uniform as possible, but considerably better will probably be taken slightly into account for by averaging the two. So, um, you, um, I really like that you've got the tab that's got, you know, the different graphics cards and talk about the, some of the different things that you can flat. Mm-hmm. Want to move into talking about some of, some of the things that you saw as you kind of were looking through that at this, at this 2020 class. Anything that stood out? I know there was, there was a couple of things that stood out to me. Um, but is there anything in particular, maybe as you, as you move through this spreadsheet that you want to hit on that you haven't touched on so far? Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Speaking of the uh, graphics cards, let me give a, a shout out to my guy Mark Mathic from Player Profiler. He is the one who is doing all this fantastic work, and he's the one who's currently uh, he's working up my 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 uh, definitions and my breakdowns for for each metric. He's going to put those on a on some some great work that he's doing and we'll kind of break them down with some comparisons and stuff like that with a few players uh, on each series of cards. And so that will also, if people don't get a chance to uh, listen to this or something like, you know, if, if they by chance come along late, they can look at those and just get a really good idea of, of the thought process and everything behind the metrics. So just want to give him a quick shout out. Um, he's, he's, he's a great guy and, he uh, is going above and beyond to to do these for me. He's he lives in in Shanghai, so he's in ground zero of that coronavirus right now. So um, the fact that he's even the fact that he's even uh, taking the time to to do these for me is is amazing. So, um, but yeah. So speaking of the ones that are currently on the sheets, we have uh, you know BMI, age, height, weight. Uh, just kind of looking at the it's it's not kind of um essentially it's supposed to look at like hey this is exactly what i need to look for it just kind of gives you an idea of what the optimal range for each of these things is uh based on based on history so um as far as like age you know you want your running back to to be young you know, you, you do. You definitely don't want your running back coming in at 25 years old with, you know, some guys. There's a couple guys in the model who have six years of college under their belt. You know, that, like that is optimally not what you're looking for. That guy's going to have considerable wear and tear on him. Um, and even in the years that they redshirt or uh, uh, an injury or anything like that, they're they're still working. They're still putting toll on that body, you know, and there's no exact way to account for that. But the way it's kind of accounted for in the model is that's one of the other reasons why I do the, the games per season, as opposed to just total games or total years is because if a, a, a player has a red shirt year, I want that to be known that that's another year on him. That's, He's practicing with the team, you know, he may not be out there during games, but he is still putting some wear and tear on. And I got asked the question, you know, how, how do you account for that? Because there's no, how, there's no way for you to know that, that what he was doing. So how can that be accounted for in the same way that 
a season where he plays every game is, and it's not because he's not going to accumulate that wear and tear during that off season. He's not going to accumulate any, any touches. So that extra season will end up having a minimal effect on the overall metric as compared to one where he touched the ball three, 400 times or whatever have you, but it still does add in that little extra of this guy's another year older. He had a year of practice under his belt. It's still in my opinion, needs to be taken into account for. So um, that's, you know, kind of you're looking for that back to age. You're looking for that optimal age range and you want your, you know, your players to be young where you have on these cards, you have, you know, two out of two players that came into the NFL at 20 years old. They were a successful producer to an extent you have different levels of success, obviously in the, in the model. And we can, we can go over that um, here a little bit kind of in, in a little while when they, um, after we're done with these, but you look down at the elite producers and none of there's 65 elite producers in the entire model based on consistency. And it's not just about the player to be considered elite. They have to put up multiple, usable seasons basically multiple rb 36 or better and then these are weighted differently on the level so the amount of fantasy points produced in the given season goes on a different level you have your elite tier one you have your tier two your tier three those consist comprise the usable seasons and then um you have your tier four and tier five which are just you know, guys who basically maybe maybe they had one good game the entire year. You maybe streamed him off the you know waiver wire because the guy ahead of him got injured, type of stuff. And then your tier five seasons, which are just these guys barely played at all. You want that. Um, you want to look for that elite range of consistency. So there's 65 guys in the model, and if you go down to the to the age cards you'll see that 22 is the optimal range where 55.4 percent of the players drafted uh or of the elite performers excuse me were 22 years old the older you get it drops considerably you go up to 23 and it's 8 of 65 you go up to 24 2 of 65 25 nobody you drop it down to 21 and it's 19 of 65 drop it down to 20 and it's zero of 65. And yes, you know, the older and younger you get, obviously the fewer players that there are in those ranges, but we can just see that like, even though there is far fewer 24 year olds drafted than there are 23 year olds, you still have no real, um, nothing really to grasp for in terms of history as you know, you can just, you just see it based on the cards and those will be, you'll be putting out a link with the model and everybody will be able to see those. Um, but age kind of, that was kind of the, um, the biggest one for me because, you know, 
it's basically the only one that really you saw like a real clear over 50% kind of range that you want your guy to be in. You have weight, which you have your optimal range as 20 to 210 to 219 pounds has produced the highest percentage of consistent producers. But that doesn't mean that if a back is 220 to 229 pounds or even heavier than that, that he's got any less of um, a chance to produce. It's just that they're the, the hit rate for those players is just drops drastically uh, as you go up or down from these ranges. So it's not a be all. None of this is a be all end all for anything. It just kind of gives you an idea on these cards. Like you want to look for guys who are similar or close to each of these optimal ranges for BMI, for age, um, weight, height, everything like that to just, um, see where the prospect you're trying to analyze comes in on these. How many of these does he hit? So it's, um, like I said, none of them are be all end alls by any means. And that's why like none of them are accounted for individually in the model too greatly, but then you encompass all of them and you can kind of see, you know, even with the great prospects coming out, if you look at all the optimal ranges, the only prospect coming out this year that hits every optimal range in these is Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly doesn't come out exactly highly ranked on the model, but he does come out as a high probability draft pick, uh, which I have, you know, ranked in the model for basically locks to go in the draft, high probability, and then UDFA potential. And Joshua Kelly does come out as a high probability draft pick despite coming in all these ranges. So he may look, he, he could just basically look like the potential for a, a safe average producer at the NFL, but he's not going to have the upside of these, of these other guys who come out far greater in the, in the overall metrics. So um, I don't know if that's exactly what you were looking for, no, I think it, I think it's good. I mean, you know, kind of the the picture I wanted to, to paint for people is using using your tool. How can they evaluate some of the guys? Like, you know, Joshua Kelly's a guy that I've been quite interested in. You know, I like how he was able to produce UCLA, even though that offense was just decent, mm-hmm. multiple thousand yard season, fairly decent production. You know, so looking at your model, I was like, oh, okay. So some of the things that you know that I liked about him. That and just talking about so you know kind of the picture I was trying to paint is you know how do how does somebody how does the average fantasy owner kind of jump in here while he's in his you know in his rookie draft and okay you know I see some of these metrics should one be weighted more than the other does it you know does it kind of signal me to go a certain direction I'm looking for running back you know so I, I think you I think you did a good job nailing you know, how each of these kind of factors. Yeah, and this is like you know going back to the beginning. My the whole goal was to try and put everything into one and make it something easy. And in a roundabout way, I did the complete opposite of that by making it massive and overwhelming. And and but it's just I, I'm really excited about this coming out with you guys because it's it's just gonna I think take away so much of that intimidation factor when people first click it open. 
Well, and it, and it definitely, I mean, when you do things like these types of, like, I would love to see, you know, even more kind of graphics cards where you're hitting pieces of your tool and saying, you know, hey, this this is an interesting identifier that might signal something that you may want to consider in a running back. I mean, like, as soon as I started digging into it, you know, the graphics cards caught my attention, not only because they looked great, but because they had really interesting information, very quick condensed and with a conclusion, like I could, I could see it, I could kind of digest it. And then as I was looking through the actual, anal, you know, all of your analytics that built into it, I go, okay, I see, I, I get it, I get it. Um, and trying to compare kind of what I was seeing in one tab to what I've seen in another. So I, I think it's a cool tool. I mean, I, I've always been one that's more information, the better, you know, and then I just kind of exactly whatever I want to use out of it. Yeah, no, exactly, and that's that's kind of been my thing. Is um, why would you want to limit yourself to to your information intake to to what your? I I am a firm believer that even though I I spent time on this, I will go through and I'm going to watch every player, you know, coming out. I'm going to look at their film and I'm going to try and use my model along with my film evaluation to to make my determinations on, okay, is the risk worth the reward? And I think that's kind of what this can help you do is you can, you can look at this and see what the potential, what the downside, everything like that is. And then you can use your own analysis uh, outside of the model or just, you know, like what you think and just weigh the risks, weigh the rewards, see what history has kind of told us with players like these and just, you know, okay, now I'm ready to make my, now I'm ready to make my first round rookie pick in, you know, in our, in our dynasty draft. So, um, yeah, that, that was kind of the whole goal. And I, I haven't dug in film wise on these guys yet. Like I will, because one of the things I really wanted to keep out of this was bias of any sort. I didn't want, I didn't want to ever look over at the column A and see a name and make a judgment call because no, that guy shouldn't. What? No, that guy shouldn't be there. That's, there's no way this is correct. You know, I didn't want anything like that to come into account when I when I formed all the metrics and everything, and just happened to be that comes out Reggie Bush, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey. These guys all rank extremely high in the model. It just, yeah, that's just how it came out to be. And basically like, you know, if you look at the physical toll grade, yeah, bear with me for one second. I went through and I, I have potential season values based on draft capital. And what I did with that is I gave first round draft picks from the NFL, eight potential seasons, second and third round draft picks have seven potential seasons fourth and fifth go down to six and sixth and seventh go down to five potential seasons. And then their potential game um, amount is, you know, then their potential season divided by 16 or time 16. They have that. And so what I did then is I took my physical toll grade and compared that directly to the potential season and potential game percent. And I came away from this because that was kind of my original goal was to see wear and tear on these players. Um, This is 
when I saw these results, I was probably the most excited I've been since the start of the metric. Basically, if you're if your player uh, that you're looking at has an 80 and above physical toll grade, on average, those players playing 71, 71.1% of their games in the NFL. Drop that down to a the average of all all highly, you know, basically the I split it into four different categories: a high, mid high, mid low, low, and then I just took the basically considered the locks, which are the eighty and above, and then I took busts, which are uh, under a P- twenty seven PTG. So your your locks stay on the field 71.1% of the time. We go down to your high level. That goes down to 64.43% of the time they're on the field. You go down to your mid-high, 55.19% of the time they're on the field. You go down to your mid-low, 49.87%. Go down to your low, 38.99%. Go down to your busts under 27. They stay on the field only 29.29% of the time. So. I walked away from that just stoked and I, and then turned, I wanted to kind of take that a little bit farther because fantasy success is just, you know, it's so heavily um, weighted on landing spot and draft capital. You know, it's not all about what the player did in college. They have to land in the right position to succeed. So I went in and then looked at the difference in elite running backs, successful running backs, and non-successful running backs. And basically what this showed me is exactly kind of what I was just saying, is that it, it weighs much heavily, much more heavily on their landing spot and draft capital because like we covered earlier, you want your elite running back to show that they can handle some wear and tear. So your your elite running back on average has a high a higher volume-based wear and tear than your unsuccessful running back. And it's just slightly higher, but it is higher. But then you look at their distance traveled and it is considerably higher. So they were much more effective. They had a little more wear and tear, but they were so much more effective in their production on the field. And you look over then and you're, you know, obviously your elite running backs, 84.94% of the time they're on the field. Successful goes down to 70.2. Non-successful, 34.78. So it's, that kind of demonstrates, you know, it's not just about the player. It also takes into account the landing spot and the draft capital as well as also being very large deciding factors in, uh, in that player's potential for success. That is all very, very, very interesting. All right. So we're about an hour in, we got to bring this to a close. What final points of your model do you want to make sure people know about? So, um, kind of one thing I, I kind of covered earlier and I, uh, I, I apologize for taking up all the time. Like I kind of warned you, I was super excited to talk about this thing. Cause it's the first time I've been able to just talk about it to, to more than my girlfriend or, you know, to Addison Hayes, who's, who's been a major part of this process, just kind of sitting on my shoulder and I would just bounce ideas off of him. Like, Hey, I'm going to apply this. 
and I would give him the reasoning and the thought process and he would let me know, okay, as somebody on the outside looking in, that makes sense to me. That definitely makes sense that you're kind of pushing it a little. I think you might be trying to create your own narrative there. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll change this up. We'll, we'll do something different. And so I, again, apologies for taking up all the time, but no. um, <laughs> we, we already prepared before we got you on here. I said that this is an episode where I feel like David's going to need to talk for 90% of the time so that people can really understand what this model is and how it can help them so it was fully expected by us we wanted you to do most of the talking because we don't know this in and out like you do i feel like i've learned a lot during this episode so that makes me happy because our listeners are learning a lot and then once they can you know once they click on the link and go look at this model they'll know what they're looking at rather than when we first looked at it we were like okay where do we even start yeah Um, yeah it was a little overwhelming at first, so I think this is really going to help. So you don't have to apologize. We're glad that you explained this thoroughly, um, so those people aren't overwhelmed. Uh, no, and I, I appreciate the heck out of you guys allowing me to come on and and take up so much of the time because I, I really, I mean, obviously it's mine, it's my baby. I'm going to rep it, but I think this really has the potential to change the way we evaluate running backs uh, analytically. Uh, I I really, really think it can be something special that people can really take advantage of and can really help them to make the best decisions to, to weigh the risks and weigh the rewards and everything. And, and that's kind of where you asked, you know, one final point, Um, just kind of, you know, your draft capital is projected based off your overall prospect score and your overall performance score, kind of just the, the really focus kind of on those because they're going to encompass everything and then work your way back from that. So you look at their overall score. That's not going to tell you the whole story, but it's going to give you an idea of them as an overall player. Then you can start working your way back from that and look at their volume-based wear and tear, their distance traveled adjustment, their physical toll grade, all the outlying factors that go into making that final physical toll grade, um, their upside, their downside, their injury risk. You, You can look at all this stuff, how efficiently they produced, how they translated to the NFL. And I have, I have my hit rate in on there and what it's based off of is the average fantasy success uh, consistency rating in my model, the average per draft round. And so I took that and I basically took my projected round, the NFL's round, and then I took their the averages for each of those and determined how much above, below, or equally that player produced to that round as opposed when in comparison from the model to the NFL. And it comes out as the model is full on right about a player just under 37% of the time. The NFL is full on right about a player just over 30% of the time. And it was a dead even projection, the rest. So I'm really happy with the results. Um, I, I really think 
as we progress through draft season and into next year that if people uh, take the time to, to give this thing a, a chance and a look at, I think they will definitely walk away from it. Um, I'm not going to say smarter because I'm not trying to say I'm a genius or anything like that. That's far from the truth, but they'll definitely walk away from it with a much better grasp of, of the running back position as a whole through the last 15, 16 years of what, how the progression you can look by year and just see how the progression of the players has, has gone, how through the years, the grades get higher and higher and higher. And that just kind of tells us that the things that the NFL is looking for is different than what it used to be. You know, if you go back, the only super highly graded player from the uh, mid, you know, 2005, 2006, right around that range is Reggie Bush. And, you know, he's a player who I think we all know is kind of widely regarded as one of the top one, two, three college running backs of all time, just with how much he produced, you know, the championship, you know, all, all this stuff. And it, uh, it'll, it'll just really help look at these guys and get a better grasp on them. And, and you can help make better determinations based on, all the metrics, you know, look at a player's production, but also look at his wear and tear, see how much wear and tear he has. David Johnson's raked very high in volume-based wear and tear. Not, And by very high, I mean he has a very high volume-based wear and tear, meaning ranked lowly on the uh, on the metric, whereas you look at Maurice Claret, played one year, he's easily going to be the, the number one ranked volume wear and tear but as we talked about before that you know that doesn't mean anything for success because you want your running back to show that they can handle some sort of a workload but not too much you know so it's it's i i just really think it can help people <laughs> so. yeah. yeah i think that it's going to be really helpful too i think that uh i think taylor is probably sitting back laughing right now. I know he hasn't said much, but uh, uh, him, he and I have had a little uh, draft capital banter back and forth. Uh, so I think he's probably enjoying that, uh, how heavily you weigh draft capital and everything. So that that's going to be funny for us to banter about afterwards. Um, it's, my, it's my new favorite model. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to argue the the numbers on the on the draft capital because you you can look at the success rates and like I was saying, it's I believe it's uh, thirty one out of thirty three first round running backs posted some sort of fantasy success, and it drops as you go by round it drops and it drops and it drops and it drops and it drops. And so, I mean, that's, you, you got to look at that like, well, the NFL is going to take the better running backs higher. So it's, it's hard to argue against draft capital being a major, major factor in a player's potential. Yeah. I, I definitely don't argue the historical value of it. My view is that, that the, the leash is getting shorter in the NFL where we've seen, you know, Josh Rosen, Rashad Penny, 
uh, Ronald Jones, um, a number of guys we could, you know, I could go on and on, um, but that are, their leash has just been much shorter of late than it had been in the past, I think. I mean, we've seen Chris, Christine Michael get how many opportunities because people were so high on him. And I just don't know that the NFL is, is doing that anymore to the same extent as they were in the past. So that's, that's kind of my, my argument in there. And you're laughing. So I'm wondering if Michael showed up well in the model. Uh, I don't, uh, I, I don't actually believe he did. Um, let me let me pull him up real quick and uh, just just for uh, shits and grins. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I mean, we're seeing more of the Austin Ecklers, the Damian Williams, Raheem Moster, even you know Breda before him in San Francisco. Um, we've seen a number of guys that were, uh, I mean, Aaron Jones uh, later later round draft picks. He wasn't even picked first by his team that are working them their way into major roles. Whereas, you know, if we go back to, you know, 2015 to 2005, uh, we didn't see that nearly as much for extended periods of time as we're seeing it now. So I just feel like the NFL is changing a little bit in that aspect, but I'm sure your model will, um, will, uh, move with that as if the NFL continues to go that route, I'm sure your model will move with that as well. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the progression that if you if you look through the years, you know, like I was saying, you're you really as you go back through the years, your your players ranked highly in the model just kind of start to uh, to go down. You know, you have you know Reggie Bush, obviously, like I said, but as, as you go back through the years, your your players ranked you know, over 100 in the model start to drop drastically. And, you know, you get one, two, one, two guys, and then you start getting into the, you start getting into the, uh, the more recent years, 2016, you got four guys ranked over a 100% or a 100 overall prospect score. You go to uh, 2017, you got five guys over a 100%, 100 prospect score. Drop back down a little bit in 18, where you have only Barkley and uh, and Rashad Penny, who came in ranked that highly. But then it kicks back up again, and you got three more players the next year over 100. But um, it definitely, you can definitely look back through, and that's kind of what this was kind of focusing on when I was targeting premium on efficiency. And versatility um, it's it's meant to kind of give you an idea who's the most versatile and efficient college producer and then we take into account all those upside factors and everything like that to give you the full picture all in one and then we base our draft capital right off of that where as I actually have this posted in the intro of the um, of the the RB TP model is how I go along projecting draft capital down at the bottom. Um, and also a definition of how I determine fantasy success uh, levels, elite level, you know, very consistent level, consistent 
non-usable, all that type of stuff. That's all um, posted in there as well. And then I'll be coming out with with more images from uh, Mark Mathic, who uh, will be putting together some graphic cards to to define and go over the thought process of each each metric. And then we will go through and we have a, a series planned to start breaking down these these prospects through the metric, giving you comps, um, telling you about their upside, the downside, everything like that, uh, leading up to the draft. That is awesome. All right, quickly, Taylor, do you have any last questions for David? Nope, I'm excited to uh, to dive into the uh, thread that you mentioned earlier when we were talking about how to to really on your own kind of experiment with this model and explore it. Um, you got some really interesting tweets out there on your uh, Twitter profile to look into, um, and I'm just really interested to see how these play out as far as your um, model and the 2020 rookies that are coming out and obviously we still have draft capital which is the biggest right rick uh to consider uh and see how that plays in and and just see you know we've got this big four that everyone's talking about with jt dobbins um acres and who am i forgetting swift Swift, um and I, i think a lot of people have some variation of those four but after that it seems like a crapshoot and so i think it'll be really cool to see uh, how this model predicts um, who might be the the sleeper that comes and gets drafted a little earlier than we think and is able to provide some fantasy relevance. So really appreciate your time and all the work you put into this. Uh, it was uh, it was definitely a a labor of love. Um, spent a lot of nights <clears throat> up all night just going through plugging numbers into this thing, and um, I would do it all again. Heartbeat. I I came out of this really pleased with it, and if it's what I think it is and what I hope it is, I guess I I think a lot of people will will gain some real advantages in in evaluating prospects, and and I think it can be something that can can really become a viable, valuable fantasy tool. So. Yeah, we agree, and we appreciate you letting Roto Heat be one of the first places to uh, help put this out there for you. We are also a, a newer site, so uh, we love uh, that you were willing to come on the podcast and, and let us chat about this. Brad, do you have any questions? And if not, why don't you send us out? Uh, no, I don't. You know, I really appreciate Bring more uh, exposure to it, and we're excited to see where it goes from here. For those that, that don't know, make sure you go to rotoheat.com to, to get the link to this great model. Um, get over to rotoheat.com so you can see all of the stuff that we're working on. We've got a lot of 2020 rookie breakdown stuff that, that we're getting some people there. Go over to our YouTube channel, you can see a lot of our breakdowns that we do over there. Follow all of us on Twitter. Keep in touch and keep the conversation going. All right, David, any last words? Oh, just uh, thank you guys so much again for uh, for giving me the time to come on your platform and and uh, spit some uh, some analytics at you and um, 
try and uh, try and get a little more knowledge about this thing to uh, hopefully take that intimidation factor down a bit and uh, let people know that uh, they don't have to be scared. It's big and it's multi-layered, but if if you know how to use it, it it's easy. So um, thank you guys again for having me on. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, just I had a great time. Thank you for letting me talk your ears off. Uh, look forward to uh, to uh, keeping in contact with you guys here in the future, and um, I will definitely be I will definitely be going over and following everything you guys do at Roto Heat. Um, and yeah, so thank you. <laughs> All right, great. Next week we will have Jake Trowbridge from Roto Baller and Drinking Fantasy on as our guest so make sure to tune in next week and we will talk to you later 